0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to episode 93 of the Social Media and Politics podcast, bringing you expert insights into how social media is changing the political game. I'm your host, Michael Bassetta, political scientist at Loon University. Connect with the show on Twitter by following us at SMNP Podcast, or visit us on the web at socialmediaandpolitics.org. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for tuning in. In this episode, we're going to talk about the role of political self-expression on social media, which is an area that I think is really under-researched and really important. And one of the key drivers of that research is Dr. Dan Lane. He is an assistant professor of communication at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and he's also the guest for this episode. And we'll be going through three of his studies that look at what is the significance of expressing oneself Uh, about politics on social media, what effects does that have? And then what design features of social media platforms influence how particularly youth express themselves politically online? And before describing these studies we're going to talk about and cutting to the interview, I want to take a second and describe why I think this is important, looking at self-expression rather than information exposure. I really think research should be moving uh, in that direction because if we look at the history of the studies of social media and politics, uh, you know, not so old, but at the same time, they tend to look at what is the effect of being exposed to information on social media? Is it like-minded content? Is it cross-cutting content like we talked about last episode? And that seems to come from a longer tradition in political communication of media effects. So media effects research tries to understand how being exposed to certain, let's say, frames in the media, uh, how does that affect people's perception of politics? So how might a negativity frame or a conflict frame influence how someone thinks about a politician or a political party? Or does it have any effect on their likelihood to vote. And this is all fine and good, but social media platforms are unique in that they allow for this type of expression. I think Manuel Castells called it mass self-communication. And the implications of political expression and the effects they might have on political interest, political knowledge, political efficacy... These type of questions have been understudied so far in the context of social media, which is too bad because I think that's actually where the meat is. I think that's actually what is the powerful part of social media is what happens when you express yourself to a peer group or to a group of who knows, Twitter followers or random people on Reddit, Uh, that feedback that you get and that kind of Co constitutive process of participating in the online discussion, I think, is where research actually should be looking. And so one of the things I really enjoyed about reading Dr. Lane's work preparing for this episode is how he is. Looking at this from so many different angles, so for example, in the second study we'll talk about, he uses qualitative interviews to get some insights about what are the aspects of a particular social media platform that we haven't talked about yet on the show called Yik Yak. What are the particular features that might incentivize political expression? And then he goes and tests those features in an experimental design in the third study we'll talk about. So really interesting stuff. Let me introduce briefly the studies. You can find the links to them in the show notes. The first is Social Media Expression and the Political Self, published in Journal of Communication. The second that we'll go into is called Civic Laboratories, Youth Political Expression in Anonymous, Ephemeral, Geobounded Social Media. That's in Information, Communication, and Society. And the third study that we'll talk about that was just published last month in New Media and Society is an experimental design where Dan created a social media platform called Olympus to test which design features such as being able to be anonymous and having a uh, geographically limited versus an unbounded peer network would affect how young people express themselves politically online. And that one is called Social Media Designed for Youth Political Expression, Testing the Roles of Identifiability and Geo Boundedness." So altogether, I think this is a great interview to triangulate what's going on in terms of political self-expression on social media. What are some of the differences between posting or sharing something versus just liking it on Facebook? We'll get into that. And without further ado, let me turn it over to Dr. Dan Lane. Again, he is an assistant professor of communication at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Dr. Lane, thanks so much for taking the time out, and welcome to the Social Media and Politics Podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So before we dive into some of the more specific aspects of your research, I'd like to start out by getting your broader take on political self-expression online, because I think the majority of existing research looks at, you know, when people are exposed to information. But social media platforms are not just places for reading content, right? They're also built for self-expression, and that's what your research really hones in on. So to start out, how did you become interested in studying political self-expression, and why do you think it's important to study on social
1: media? Absolutely. So there's a couple reasons why I focus on political self-expression on social media. But I think the first one and the kind of original one has to do with my background before becoming a researcher. Uh, so for about a decade before going to grad school, I ran a digital storytelling company for nonprofits and social causes. So I spent all my time trying to create messages that would convince people to engage or care about things that I, I thought were worthwhile. Uh, And through that experience, I I got a little frustrated with the power of messages or lack thereof and kind of these issues about preaching to the choir, etc. And so as I got deeper into research and I gained a more sophisticated understanding of how social media works, I started appreciating the fact that these are really environments where we come to understand who we are as people. And I think a key part of that is self-expression. And so I increasingly started focusing on political self-expression as a way that people down the stream become engaged in politics. And so I think we'll talk a little bit about that in terms of some of the studies that I've done. But another practical reason is I started becoming skeptical of what we were measuring as uh, political communication researchers. Were we really measuring conversation or or are we measuring expressive acts, Um, you know, posting a video or sharing a link? Um, It's kind of hard to understand that in the typical way we understand conversations or deliberation. So that was another reason that I kind of focused on political expression uh, to begin with.
0: Yeah, definitely. You've done some really interesting studies, particularly around youth political expression with some interesting platforms that I want to talk about uh, as we move along. But let's start out by looking at your recent study in Journal of Communication, looking at the interaction between political self-expression and the political self, where you tested how self-expression on social media affects what you call self-presentation motivations and political self-concept. So can you explain what these two concepts
1: are and kind of how they might relate to one another? Absolutely. So some of the most exciting research on social media for me talks about the ability of social media to serve as these environments where we discover ourselves, where we learn about ourselves. And research in social psychology kind of speaks to the the way this happens. And so uh, one concept is the idea of self-concepts, that these mental models of who we are as people that we build from a, a variety of past experiences that we have. And so in this study, we focused on this idea of a political self-concept. So your sense of yourself as a political person. So when you think of people who are political junkies, right, they somewhere in their head have an understanding of themselves as really into politics, as that's something it's kind of core to who they are. Um, so we focused on this idea of political self-concepts and how social media and particularly the dynamics of self-presentation on social media might influence or activate these political self-concepts
0: and so i i get the political self-concepts these are things like efficacy right or um you know how how much one might participate but The self-presentation motivations was, you know, a a new concept to me. So can you kind of describe what that that motivation part is compared to the
1: actual concept itself? Absolutely. So one of the important dynamics on many social media platforms is the publicness of expression. And this plays an important role in influencing self-concepts because one of the ways that we learn about our self-concepts, we develop them, is by observing others' reactions to our behavior. So this concept of the looking glass self, we look outward to understand what's inside. And so social media are a really powerful environment for that because we can get all kinds of feedback on how people respond to our expressive behavior. So that's why we sort of focused on this idea, how can we tell if people are caring or motivated to care about their self-presentation, political self-presentation on social media. And so this political self-presentation motivation was one way to do that.
0: Right. And then so you actually tested how self-expression influences these concepts on a representative sample of US adults. And so can you describe kind of the main objectives for that study and how you actually went about operationalizing these concepts, self-presentation, motivation, and then the political self-concepts?
1: Yeah so I would say that with uh, and I think this is true for any kind of um survey research we're really just trying to understand a, a theoretically meaningful pathway that could serve as a basis for future research particularly experimental research to kind of hone in on the specific uh, mechanisms or, or causal relationships. So, what we wanted to understand is: is expressing oneself on social media does that strengthen this political self-presentation motivation? So, if I express myself repeatedly over a certain amount of time about politics, does that increase the sense that I want others to see me as politically active on social media? And does that in turn that that need to feel um, seen as politically engaged on social media does that strengthen or activate? Uh, one's political self-concept, as it's theorized to do in a lot of other contexts. Uh, So that's how we set up the pathway that we wanted to look at. Now, operationally, I want to say there's a lot of room for improvement, in my view, uh, especially with this this rich idea of political self-concepts. We kind of capitalize on, on four different dimensions of political self-concept that we thought were interesting. Um, so political interests, political self-efficacy, perceived participation, so how much you think of yourself as politically active, and then perceived knowledge. But I think that there's a, a really interesting conversation uh, and exploration to be had in terms of fleshing out this idea of political self-concept.
0: Right. So you use this survey data from the U.S. election. And then what was kind of the the overall finding? I mean, what was the effect of expressing oneself on social media and these political self-concepts?
1: Right. So what we found is that expressing oneself on social media about politics was associated with an increase in this political self-presentation motivation. So people who express themselves about politics, they started wanting others to see them as politically engaged on social media. And that this was in turn associated with increases in political interests, political self-efficacy, and uh, perceived participation. So we kind of view this as a, a really promising theoretical pathway that I said again should be tested with other, you know, other methods, experiments, et cetera.
0: And it's kind of interesting. Um you know, just thinking about it now, if, if people are expressing content on social media, it's almost like, you know, to what extent do you think people are doing it for themselves? If, you know, they're sharing out to others, but it doesn't seem like it's so much of a, you know, altruistic act. It's something that ultimately is benefiting their own presentation of themselves as a politically active person. So how do you see that dynamic of like sharing out to a crowd versus the kind of personal motivation of, increasing one's own sense of being politically active.
1: Yeah, so I don't want to be over-deterministic, but I do think that um, much of life is obviously a performance, uh, particularly life online. And uh, I do think that people think about, especially when they do something as risky as expressing a political view, they really think about how that's going to be received by their network. And therefore, I think the response they get, it feels important to them. It serves as a really important act of public commitment That's how we'd think about it theoretically, this public commitment to a a political self-presentation that we thought and we kind of show that has a powerful benefit. Right. And I think
0: we'll we'll dig into that a bit deeper in some of your other studies. But I think, you know, after you did this initial analysis, what I think is interesting is that you did a follow-up analysis looking only at expressive behaviors on Facebook, which we know there's different ways you can express yourself on Facebook, right? You can um, post something, you can comment, you can share, uh, but you can also like. And you tested exactly this, like how did self- through these different degrees of engagement, affect these self-presentation motivations and self-concepts. And you know, what was the key finding there? Looking just at Facebook and then the
1: different degrees of expression. Yeah. So the bottom line, I think that we that we found is that most acts of self-expression, political self-expression, have this downstream influence on political self-concepts. Uh, With the exception of liking, so liking content, which we consider expressive in some way, doesn't have that effect. We didn't find that relationship. And so um, part of the reason we speculate that this is the case is that the act of expression has to be sufficiently an act of public commitment. So it has to signal clearly to your your network, uh, your online social network, that you are political in some way. And if you think about the ambiguity that's involved in liking something Right. It's not really clear. It's not really a strong signal of being a political person, let's say. So, again, this is this was rather um, preliminary. And I think there's a lot of great work, um, some of which I'm involved with, uh, looking at the different types of um, expressive behaviors on social media and both what causes those and what effects they have. Uh, So I think this speaks to that the importance of looking at that.
0: Yeah, because I thought it was interesting reading your study. Um, I wasn't actually so surprised by that particular finding about likes, because we've seen in like eye tracking research that people don't really tend to to look at likes very much, even the, mm-hmm. the raw number. And, you know, we've seen how Facebook and Instagram are kind of experimenting with just getting rid of likes uh, altogether in terms of this, you know, having them displayed um, publicly. But I wanted to ask, I mean – what is the significance of of the like? Do you think that in terms of self-expression that one likes you know, a political post first, for example, as a kind of low cost, low social risk type of activity, but that it may later on lead to more higher forms of, of expression like uh, posting or sharing content?
1: Yeah, I think this is a classic example of um, – the absence of a, of a relationship doesn't mean that there's no relationship there, right? So I think that when we, we don't find that likes have the same relationship in this particular study, it doesn't mean that we should discount likes as a meaningful, expressive act. I think in our own experience, we know that if we're navigating our Facebook page and we see that someone is like something. That means something in, in socially, mm. uh, and so it might be operating a, as you suggested in a sort of like a more of a spillover capacity mm. where it leads you to the next action, or it might it might have a totally different function that we need to dig more into. So I think that again, that's a really rich area of research, uh, kind of breaking down different types of expressions and how they're related to each other.
0: Definitely, and just kind of keeping on these likes because I think they're a little bit topical at the moment with the potential for them to be removed is that they'll be removed from public eye. So you won't see the raw number of likes, but you'll be able to see your own likes. So, Mm -hmm. so you'll be able to see the the number of likes that you get, but no one else will be able to see them, which kind of signals that likes
1: do seem to matter, you know, especially those from, from your social network. Absolutely. And on top of that, you know, uh, even if likes aren't, Uh, sort of a social cue that's available to users, they're almost certainly going to be part of the algorithms that social media platforms use to decide what you see and what you don't see. Right. So I think we always have to think on on a couple different levels when we're thinking about these expressive acts. They're pieces of social information for users, but they're also being understood by the algorithm uh, of social media platforms and, and used in that way.
0: Exactly, exactly. And thinking about these different acts of of self-expression from, you know, liking at the bottom end to maybe posting some new content at the higher end, uh, we talked about a little bit, but these are different levels of public commitment. To your social network, right? Or or the idea of publicness. And you found in your other research that youth in particular seem to be aware of this publicness and the kind of social risk that that goes along with it when they're expressing, particularly about politics online. And that'll bring us to a study you've done on Yik Yak, which is a platform we haven't discussed yet on the show. And so maybe some of our particularly non-US or older listeners might not be familiar with Yik Yak. Can you describe what that
1: platform was? Absolutely. And I'm sad to say even some of your younger listeners probably don't know what Yik Yak (laughs) is based on uh, talking with my students. So Yik Yak was RIP, um, a social media platform that was popular on college campuses, primarily in the U.S., but also internationally. And it was kind of designed as a a digital version of the campus newsletter, so something that would be very localized and be for a certain demographic. In this case, college students. Um, And there were several key affordances that kind of defined Yik Yak. First of all, it was it was geo bounded, so users could only participate within a a defined geographic area. Uh, It was anonymous. So, all users uh, kind of used just either symbols, and then later on, as they changed the platform, they could add little handles. And then it was also ephemeral. So, messages would sort of be cycled off of the platform as new messages were added. And so, these three uh, affordances were something that made it a really unique context for talking about all kinds of things. But I was interested in, in the political conversations that were going on there. If you were sort of to, to, to ask, users of Yik Yak when it was active. What is this platform? What is it all about? It really was described, at least by the participants in my study, as this sort of hub of campus life where all kinds of informal, maybe even uh, not normatively desirable information was being traded.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, um, you, know, you, you talked about some of the features uh, and the affordances of the platform, but what aspects of Yik Yak's design makes it, at least for the college students that you interviewed, an appropriate medium for discussing politics in a way that might not happen in, say, face-to-face conversations?
1: So I definitely I definitely wouldn't argue that it's somehow an appropriate medium. I, I don't even know what an appropriate medium would be. But I did witness just in my personal experience um, during one of the terrorist attacks that had happened several years ago. Uh, there was a lot of discussion about the attack and also the identity of the attackers and sort of there was some anti-Muslim comments going on in the platform and then also a lot of pushback from those comments And so I thought it was really interesting that this was the context that college students were talking about these issues because I wasn't seeing these conversations in my classroom. And when I asked students, you know, it didn't seem like it was a pervasive uh, face-to-face kind of topic. So I think Yik Yak's combination of anonymity and geoboundness was really powerful and was the, the first reason that I was interested in studying it. The fact that uh, people could express political views behind the veil of anonymity, but also to people that they actually cared about, which was their their fellow college students, the the people that they saw in classes. And so I think it created a really interesting dynamic that I'm happy to talk more about.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I have a follow-up question on that, which is, um, I remember using, or at least uh, uh, reading Yik Yak when, when I was in college, and I don't know if there was a character limit, but I remember the posts were pretty short. Um, you kind of scrolled through a bunch of you know almost like like tweets yep. like a tweet version of an online forum kind of and um, you know so there, it 's not a place for actually getting into real in depth conversations about anything, but particularly about politics and um, I was rereading uh, the study just before we talked and and you, you you highlight a really interesting dynamic between experimentation and deliberation, and i 'm wondering if you kind of unpack how um, Yik Yak and its, its affordances sort of promoted that, that dynamic where on the one hand, you have people experimenting with their political self-expression, but you know, perhaps not in the most deliberative manner.
1: Uh, Absolutely. So I I think this speaks to uh, us political communication researchers looking for this sort of ideal form of deliberation, right? Where people are rationally talking about policies and and informing each other and everyone's growing and becoming better citizens. And of course, we know that political conversation is always messy and contested and involves all kinds of social identities and, and, and conflict. And I think for particularly for young people, uh, the the participants in our study, there's a real need for expressing oneself experimentally, kind of discovering who you are politically by trying something out. I think one of the most memorable interviews from this study, because it was based on interviews, um, was a student who said that she would put a political opinion up on Yik Yak, see what the reaction was, maybe modify it a little bit. And then take it to Facebook Mm. and and put it out to maybe a more meaningful, close tie based network. And I thought that was fascinating because it showed that um, expressing one's political view on social media has become so uh, so dangerous in some sense, particularly for young people, that this need for experimentation in some contexts might trump having a good conversation that's that's, you know, deliberative. At the same time, participants in the study really, they did reflect the desire to have meaningful conversations, right? So that some people desired this experimental experience, but others were really skeptical that anything on an anonymous platform could ever add up to something. And as much cynicism as we have about young people in politics, they still have kind of inherited a view of politics that emphasizes reasonable conversation, understanding, understanding, but how to get there is like like the rest of us. They don't know how to do it. So I think that, that it remains an interesting tension in a lot of these these social media spaces.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting what you say about uh, sort of, let's say, beta testing a political position on, on Yik Yak before uh, Facebook. Because I saw a tweet where someone was kind of calling out Mark Zuckerberg for saying – you know, he's saying that Facebook is, you know, giving everyone a voice, and she said, "No, I've been on Facebook since 2005. That's not what it was in the beginning. It wasn't this global platform. I think, in many ways, it was more like Yik Yak. It wasn't so um, public or political, or you know, really connecting to this this larger audience. It was very much uh, a friend to friend." I mean, it wasn't anonymous, but it was very much more like Yik Yak in that it was a place where you could kind of post something without a fear of like real repercussion. It wasn't as serious, I think, as it is today or as tied to one's personal identity as it is today. So do you think that's the case that Facebook has changed over time? Has that made political self-expression on the platform maybe have more social risk than before?
1: Yeah, yes, absolutely. I I, I, my sense is that um, and I'm not a historian of social media, but just from my (laughs) observations, um, people's mental model of social media is basically their mental model of Facebook, even if they are not a big user of it. You know, the most of the conversations about social media, I guess, in some degree, Twitter, because it's so important with the elites. But I think when they're thinking about having a conversation on social media about politics, they're really thinking about Facebook. And that is really limited our, I think, our imagination about what political expression, political conversations could be on social media, because we have sort of one dominant idea of of what that looks like. And I think that's only increased with with Facebook's power. Now, at this historical moment, we might see that change. And there's obviously a lot of other interesting new social media platforms that are sort of coming up. But um, it's hard for me to see in, in the immediate term how 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 that's going to change substantially,
0: right? Definitely, definitely. And so, going back to Yik Yak, and you know, one of the things I really like about in the study is how you broke down these specific design components of Yik Yak: the ephemerality, the geo boundedness, uh, the anonymity, and how those particular aspects of the technology create an environment that has implications for how youth um, express themselves politically, and. You describe YikYak's infrastructure as a civic laboratory, which you argue differs from more established platforms like Facebook. And could you outline what your idea of civic laboratory is and how it's distinct from the social media
1: platforms that we're typically more familiar with? Yes. Uh, the idea of civic laboratories, the concept is my attempt at uniting what we know about the affordances of social media and how they should shape human interaction. Uh, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, what we would normatively expect young people would desire from a communicative space for politics. And so here I'm thinking about really theory that argues um, that self-expression is an important way that young people make sense of the political world, more so than previous generations who had this guiding influence of, you know, your, your union, your, your civic group, your, your political party, your religious affiliation. All, as all those ties weaken, um, all of a sudden self-expression becomes this way to sort of invent yourself. And so if that's the case, then why would we expect Facebook to, to serve this purpose, right? Um, it wasn't designed for that. But how can we imagine what a social media platform might look like? would accomplish these normative goals. And so Civic Laboratory is a way of kind of uniting that theory. So it, it emphasizes a bunch of different things, but it's sort of a, an, an ideal that we could either look for in the wild to see, are there any platforms or environments online that look like this? Or could we build something that looks like this? And how would that look? Um, this is, and and once on one hand, it's very naive, um, and it's very idealistic, but I think it was important for me to think through and think beyond the affordances and features of Facebook.
0: Definitely, And I think you kind of put that into practice with uh, the third study I want to talk about where you actually created your own social media platform called Olympus and examine what aspects of that platform influence when users do or do not uh, decide to politically express uh, within that kind of experimental uh, condition. And I think it's, it's super cool research design because you actually get to sort of, you know, manipulate the, the features and functions of the platform and, and kind of examine how they uh, affect political expression. And so, could you describe a bit uh, that process for us? What were the key things you were trying to test with this platform, Olympus, and how did you actually design Olympus to achieve that purpose?
1: Yeah. So, Olympus, the the study that you're that you're speaking about, that this really came out of the work on Yik Yak, and trying to think, could we actually experimentally examine how some of these features and affordances influence youth political expression? And so. Uh, what I did was I and and I want to put air quotes around created because really at this point it's just a shell of a social media platform. But I kind of modeled a social media platform based on a kind of mishmash between Facebook, Yik Yak, and Twitter. And um, I essentially downloaded a, a template online and then modified the HTML to so- suit my purposes. And then once I had kind of this base model of this, this platform called Olympus, I could then experimentally manipulate some of the features and affordances. So in this study, um, there's two that we we looked at. Uh, the first is anonymity. So whether or not users are anonymous or identifiable, and the other is geoboundedness. So are the, the users local to you within a certain geographic area, or are they Anywhere across the United States. And so those are the two that we were able to manipulate using this design.
0: And I'm personally curious how did you settle on the name Olympus, the mountain of the gods? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So Olympus, um, it was the name of the, the, the template that I downloaded. And so the branding that is designed from that was called Olympus. So I went with it. One of the, the, the funniest outcomes of the study is that people, the, you know, participants who were all college students for the most part, they really didn't like, they didn't like the, uh, uh the platform they, they were, they, they weren't impressed by it. Um, so uh, they also, I think, this reflects the fact that no one needs an extra social media platform to sign up for. Um, so there was a little bit of that cynicism, um, but Olympus is not intentional. Only that it fit with the the cover story we were trying to trying to use.
0: Right. So you're you're still trying to test this. Um you know, whether uh, anonymity plays a factor in political self-expression or someone thinks that the people that they're expressing to are within their local community uh, or not. So can you describe the kind of um, conditions and the kind of task that participants were presented with and kind of what you were trying to, uh, to uncover
1: there? Yeah, so my goal was really to make this as realistic as possible within a um, within an experimental setting. So we decided not to run this online and instead have people come into the lab and take the experiment for a little bit more control. So participants came into the lab. They sat down at a computer and they um, were asked to sign up for this social media platform called Olympus. And at the very beginning, we asked for participants name and email sort of to get that information up front. And then um, they were asked to sort of navigate a beta version of the platform. And there we were able to cue the different features and affordances. So again, whether or not users were anonymous versus identifiable or geo bounded versus non geo bounded. So uh, local versus non local. So That was the first place that they saw it. And then they were given two expression tasks, essentially. The first was to express themselves about their own, their favorite television show. And then um, the second task was to express themselves about a political issue that they had indicated earlier in the study that that was important to them. And so both of these, they could choose to express themselves or not. And that was really our main dependent variable was willingness to express.
0: And what? How did users actually express on the platform? What was? What did you find out by uh, sort of presenting users with
1: these different um, these different conditions? So the the top line findings of the study are that that anonymity um, appears to promote political expression, and that this, in some sense, is associated with the lessening of these political self presentation concerns. So the idea is that. Uh, when people are anonymous, they are less concerned about the consequences of their political self-expression, and therefore they express themselves more. You could also flip that to say that in an identifiable environment, people are worried about what will happen, and so they they self they self censor. Um, in terms of uh, geoboundness, the the results were less conclusive. the The main thing that we found was that unbounded, so non-local environments, were perceived. Um, to be better places for exerting political voice and influence, which was really interesting to me because I think particularly young people, they believe in the power of social media. And when you have a bounded environment, just a local social media environment, I think that limits the power that they think they have to sort of broadcast their ideas and opinions to the world. Yeah, that part
0: is super interesting because when I reread the paper, I, I didn't catch it the first time. But um, yeah, you, you, you write in the paper something along the lines of like, Let me just take a little – yeah, interpretive license is you're basically saying that young people are disincentivized to express when the communication is perceived as bounded because perhaps there's this culture of influencers and virality where there's a sort of motivation maybe for younger people to express themselves with the idea that – the ultimate wish or goal, perhaps, is to uh, to, to make that go viral. Uh, and if you cut that off in the platform's features, if you say you're only going to have this message exposed to people within a ten mile radius, then young people they don't have this idea that they will be you know YouTube stars or something. I mean, I think <laughs> yeah. you know that that that's yeah. a, that's a relatively new thing. I think.
1: I think it, it draws out this really interesting tension that exists between how young people think that they should view politics and how they actually view politics. So what i what I mean is I think a good example that I usually give my students is if I gave you two hours to either go on the quad and hand out leaflets uh, or go online and share videos, which do you think, which would make the most difference? And I think that they, they think they're supposed to answer uh, go on the quad and hand out leaflets because it seems harder. It seems more effortful and therefore more effective. But most of them say, well, I would share the videos because they believe in the power of social media. And I think the, the that's another rich area of research is how our perceptions of social media as environments for politics, how they influence our behavior and our perceptions of efficacy. I think it's a, a super interesting area.
0: Definitely, and so my last question has has to do with kind of summarizing everything together. I mean, I think what you're, you know, both theoretically and and empirically, you've been kind of looking at, you know, what are the mechanisms that incentivize youth to express themselves politically, and how does that change their perceptions of their political identities, which is, you know, a fascinating research topic, and. You know, I, I wonder to what extent there might be some negative downsides of this. Um, I think we can think of youth political expression is great. People need to experiment with their political identities to really kind of form their political opinions. I think that's what people did, you know, before social media offline. Um but then I'm thinking about, you know, internet spaces like 4chan, where um, perhaps if people get on there too early and they're experimenting with identities because it's anonymous, um, there's less social risk there because it's anonymous, um, it's unbounded. Um, you know, do, do you think that that might have a, a manipulative effect or a negative effect of of how people perceive themselves as a political actor?
1: Yeah, I think this is a really important question. And, and almost every time I present this research, someone raises their hand and say, well, what about 4chan? Or, you know, what about this awful <laughs> um, political expression that I've, that I've seen in the last 24 hours? Um, you could even think about the, the things that come from our president as a uh, political expression that is facilitated by a platform, right? Um, so I have, I think I have two, maybe three things to say about that. The first is, yes, we always need to think about the political consequences of any form of political behavior. And you could say the same thing about voting, right? Why would we encourage people to vote if they're just going to make the wrong decision? There's a long line of argument in political commentary and political science that's saying, well, you know, regular people don't know what they're doing, so they shouldn't be participating. Um, I, I personally don't align myself that way. I think the second thing Is that we only know the consequences and the quality of political self-expression on social media based on who is who is participating at this moment. And I think anyone who does research in this area knows you're going to get a very small percentage of people in any study that say that they participate in um, political expression. And so I think broadening participation in self-expression is a really is kind of um, what I'm focusing on and thinking about right now. And it's essentially an issue of political inequality in my view, can self-expression be a tool for narrowing gaps in, in all kinds of political attitudes and knowledge and in, engagement? Um, or ultimately do we look out across the landscape and see, well, self-expression exacerbates these, these gaps. Um, I think that that is a more useful way to, of, of thinking about it rather than thinking, well, political expression is going to be negative cause I see these examples. Um, ultimately social media is what we have. It's the environment that we have for politics in so many ways. And we need to figure out how expression could possibly make it more equitable um, based on who has access and motivation to engage in that expression.
0: Absolutely. Um, but I, I personally think that, you know, the, the focus on, on self-expression is, is really important, understudied, and I think kind of where, where it's at when it comes to social media. So Dr. Lane, thanks so much for, for taking the time out and sharing your insights with us.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thanks.
0: I've just been speaking with Dr. Dan Lane, Assistant Professor of Communication at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Social Media and Politics Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Coming up, we should have a couple episodes dealing with European politics, looking in hindsight at how digital shaped the 2019 European Parliament campaign, and hopefully talk with the head of social media at the European Commission. So subscribe to make sure you get those episodes directly into your feed. Tell a friend, tell a colleague, let them know about the podcast. But until then, I'm your host, Michael Becetta, signing off from
1: Malmo. See you next time.